welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are here to discuss episode eight of season two, titled It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Uh, I'm back again with last week's guest co-host, Sean Fallon of the From First to Last podcast. Sean, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. Yes, yes. We Nice little two episode back to back. And I don't have to do too much introduction because, you know, this is your third time now on the podcast and... Yep. Just to reiterate for folks who know, Sean does a podcast. He ho- uh, he does a podcast on you know a TV series. He discusses the first episode and the last episode of a you know particular TV series. And you have out now The Wire from first mm. to last, another HBO production. And I'm a huge Wire fan. I remember I think when I emailed you to uh, to guest on your show, that was one of my choices. Uh, so for, for, for people who know about The Wire, um, you know, stay, stay here. For people who are not interested, you can probably <laughs> just fast forward a bit. Uh, let me ask you off the top, Sean, because I know you had put something, you threw it out on Twitter. Uh, your favorite season of The Wire. So it's not a controversial choice, but my, I think the season I really enjoyed was um, season three. With the where Bunny Colvin makes the um, the little Amsterdam in Baltimore, yep, where yep. all the drug dealers can be. Let, let, let me let me interrupt you for a moment. Yeah. Uh, spoilers, probably if you've okay, never seen yeah, The yeah. Wire. So definitely fast forward if you're interested in The Wire. But uh, okay, so go on. Season three in Amsterdam. Yeah, Amsterdam. Because I think a common sort of thing it t- tends to be that you like season two or season four are people's favorites. But season I like two, really. Okay. Yeah, people. There are people who are wild for season two because I think it's, it's a taste thing, definitely. Like when you yeah. listen to the podcast, my um, yeah. my guest actually has a bit of a thing where he kind of says if he watched, he's watched The Wire about four or five times, but he says like if he watched it again, he may even skip two. <laughs> but I feel like three is the is the medicine because two is so slow and so meditative and takes a while to get on its feet, but then three you start like six months into an investigation it's just sort of like go you know like yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's what i need after that i just really enjoy it the craziest thing about the wire is it, it's still it is so drab in terms of color like there's mm. no there's no excitement really depending on like your angle on how you watch it uh yeah that's funny about season two is because i didn't even understand season two like i guess i guess the way i sort of watch things is i have to i, I do a first watch and then i go back and i watch it again and yeah. I, I kind of didn't understand the wire that my first go around because I, I guess I was expecting something different. You know, you hear all this talk about it's one of the greatest TV shows, and you you yeah. start watching it and you're just kind of like, what's going? Not necessarily what's going on, but there's no all the typical TV show cliches. Like they just erase that, and it's yeah. it's really and it, it it's a. I always like to say it's like it's almost a documentary as much as it is a TV show. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a documentary, or um, we were saying it's like um, it's like reading a, a really dense novel. You know, you have to really read every word, and sometimes you do find yourself like a character will just get mentioned in passing and then become important later, and you gotta like flick back through the pages and be like, oh, that guy. Oh yeah, right, shit. Right. Yeah. You know, there's no point where a character comes in and someone says, 
oh, that's that's John Smith. You'll remember him <laughs> from you know none of that happens. Like. And now let me ask you because I'm, I'm trying to phrase how I'm going to ask this question because I know what my answer is. Uh, your, I guess I guess the saddest moment within the five seasons because I have one that that brings that brings me to my mind. I, and I almost cried when I had seen it. Um, but a particular, if something, or rather, a, a memorable moment that jumps out to you of the five. Uh, have you seen all the five seasons? Actually, let me yeah, let me yeah, rewind. Yeah, okay, yeah, you yeah, have. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, a memorable moment from the like the first thing that kind of pops into your head. Uh, the first one of the first things that always pops into my head is um, uh, D'Angelo Barksdale when uh, when he gets killed when they when okay. they kill him in prison. Like because that character again, to he sort of obviously is introduced as someone who is in the drug game, but sort of begins to lose faith in it. And then through family and obligation, doesn't go to the police, he ends up going to jail. Right. And then in jail, you see him beginning to sort of become more, uh, more of himself and become more aware of the world. And in the episode where he sort of has that big speech about the great Gatsby, and you can see that he's like, he's growing and he's changing, and then they kill him. You're like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you were so close, you know, and and but you know, and then, and then that that death sort of reverberates outwards, and then it just sort of comes back round. I think in maybe season four or the end of three, where McNulty's talking to his mother, and she says yeah. to him like, "Well, well, why didn't you tell me it was you know a murder?" And he was like, "I didn't think you'd give a shit." You know, and it is just that, and it just all just comes, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yourself? Mine was uh, when you see, it's in the final montage, when you see Dookie, and you know, mm. he's he's become part of, you see how he just becomes another part of the system, and why, yeah. how that happens. I mean, Dookie, his story in of itself is so sad, but that final shot in that, in that final montage, when, you know, you see him shooting up, you know, with, with the rest of those, I don't know what you call them homeless gang or whatever yeah uh that that my heart dropped when i saw that because i mean he's, he's it's just so sad the homelessness and, and it was parents and what he goes through yeah and he's such an innocent child you know and then yeah. to see him how how he just ends up you know sort of the thing the, the, the great thing about the wire too is like if it went on for another five seasons you could just see how all the characters just kind of flowed into whatever yeah. you know there was no um you know, you see it too with uh, with Michael. You know, you kind of, he kind of becomes the new Omar in that final montage. You know, yeah, that's it. So if we talk about that in the podcast, like history begins to repeat itself. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. never going to yeah. end. It just runs in runs in loops. And um, and you're right that that Dookie thing, like because that that was a thing for me. I I know season season four is incredible, but when I first watched that, I was I was working as a teacher. And oh boy. Yeah. Stuff like that, where it's just sort of like children being brutalized by the world mm -hmm. around them, mm -hmm. really, really gets under my skin. Like, I um, recently saw Moonlight for like the third time. Right. And there's that middle section where it's the, where he's in high school, and it, oh, it, it, it breaks my heart. <laughs> it's, it's just something that really gets to me. And, yeah. and season four, The Wire's like that. I'm just like, oh, these poor kids, they just, do not have a chance you know, there's no they've done nothing wrong and they're being punished for it i always tell people my friends who are teachers and i i just wish it was more known that like if you're a teacher and, and you care about your career i feel like season four of the wire is a must watch yeah. and with you being all over the world 
it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. I just think it's such an important watch, yeah. um, you know, definitely for teachers. Um, yeah, no, incredible, incredible piece of work, the whole thing. Yep, agreed. Uh, while doing, let me, <laughs> I don't want to go too far off in the wire. Uh, did you read that if they had done a season six on what it would have been about? Do you know about this? Yeah, because it would have been about um, like the, the Latino. Yeah, 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 like immigration yeah. and Latinos and yeah. stuff like that. But um, yeah, which would have which would have been fascinating. But I mean, again, just just a great sort of indication of how good that show is. When when David Simon was asked about that, he said like, "Oh, we were going to do it, but when we started to look at it, we just didn't know enough, so we didn't think we could do it justice." So I mean, you can imagine the other shows being like, "Ah, we'll work it out," and just yeah, making like yeah. an awful show where it's just like stereotypes and nonsense and just not quite getting it so david sounds like now we we can't we can't do this to the full extent that we've done everything else so drop it and that was it yeah and i think that tidbit is so great because I, I remember that part too and that that's that's why the show is so great you know he didn't mm. try to they didn't try to flub it they tried it whatever it was just like nope we don't know enough we don't have enough we we know where our characters are and yeah 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 brilliant. so we could move on to our our actual podcast <laughs> I'll tell you the truth too. I'll tell you the truth too. Uh, it was between this or the wire, and just kind of to David Simon's point, I did not know enough about what's going on in the wire. Yeah. Till like you know, this is my this is I could talk about everything here. Funeral director, the wire. I feel like someone some, way smarter than me needs to discuss. You know, do episode by episode. But, okay. Well, brings us here to our episode. Uh, like I said, it's episode eight of season two, and it's titled. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And our episode aired April 21st, 2002. It was directed by Alan Taylor. And more importantly, Sean, it was written by Scott Buck. If you remember, that was the showrunner for Dexter uh, for the first four seasons. So I kind of, you know, that Michael C. Hall tie-in. And, you know, he went on to do other stuff on the show. But I found that interesting when he, uh, he was the writer on this episode. So... See, I got distracted by Alan Taylor because Alan Taylor's like, you know, if you look at his yeah. credits for what yeah. he's directed, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a murderer's row of like incredible <laughs> shows. Like, absolutely, absolutely, that's funny. But uh, our death capsule starts out with Jesse Ray Johnson, uh, and he's going out for a stroll on a town on his motorcycle as Santa. Um, you know, real short. He he sees some kid on the side of the road. He waves. Uh, sort of loses focus for a second, crashes into a car, and dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my first question was, and, and I couldn't really pick up on it during the episode, uh, like, was this his job? Yeah, is, yeah, is it, he yeah. was a uh, mole sound. Because what you had was, like, at the start, she says to him, you know, you're going to oh, be late, the elves, late for work. Right, right, okay. I'm and then okay. later on, when um, Claire and Toby, to jump, jump ahead a little bit, when they're yeah. in the mall, when they walk past, like, the Christmas grotto. Oh, you see Santa's God. throne, and it says, "You know, closed for closed temporarily or whatever." So they haven't got I a Santa s- yet. <laughs> it's so funny, and this is why this is why I like to have guests on because that was a part of my notes. Is why is that sign there? I think is that like <laughs> they're so closed off for Christmas, and it's like, no, you idiot! You know the guy who dies in the beginning? That's Santa. Yeah, that's him. Santa. Oh, all right. Well, awesome, awesome. And now let me ask you too: Did you think he was going to run into the kids at all? Just because the, these death capsules, they're such a misdirect and everything. Uh, did that cross your mind at all or not really? No, no. I mean, for me, no. like, the, the, I was just waiting to see whether... Because the first two episodes I did were accidental suicides. I was like, oh, right, is it going right. to be... Am I going to get the hat trick of, like, <laughs> is he somehow going to accidentally... Kill it? But no, it was very much just an accident. 
No, I think when he sort of waved at the kids, I was like, oh, okay, he's going to get hit by a truck and they're going to see it. You know, right. that's 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 pure pitch black, six feet under comedy. That's true. Kids will see Santa die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something I should have started before this episode, uh, when I had asked you what part of season two you want, you selected this episode. I know there wasn't many episodes left to select from. Any particular reason this episode or is it just one that like just spiked your interest? Oh, I just I just like the idea of doing um, a Christmas episode. I think, right, and right. and it's an interesting thing as well because, like you said, this show, uh, this episode aired in April. You know, it wasn't actually aired at Christmas. Right, and right. also as well, obviously, like Six Feet Under, as we see, is a show that starts at Christmas. You know, the first, yep, like the yep. very, like the pilot is at is at Christmas, and yep. yeah, I just thought that would be interesting, and I, I really like uh, Richard Jenkins and Nathaniel. So I assumed we were, I was going to see a lot of him, and uh, yeah, was not disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and to to stay with Nathaniel for a moment, and being that this is like you know the ghost of Nathaniel sort of episode, how do I say? There's a clear parallel, right, between how Nathaniel dies and how uh, Mr. Johnson dies. Ah, uh, you course, know, just sort of yes. crashing, right? You know. Yeah, I didn't think of that. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it's Christmas time in Six Feet Under, like you said, and it's been a year since Nathaniel's death. And Ruth is planning a Christmas dinner. And in, in this first opening scene where, you know, she's, I, I guess, sort of nagging everyone, you know, because mm-hmm. we see that David is going to Keats for Christmas Eve. Nate's going to spend it with Brendan's family. And Claire's, you know, finally the one who agrees to Midnight Mass. Uh, but like this nagging and like this aggressive planning, it, this is uh, to me, and it just sort of, sh- you know, what ends up happening with the rest of the episode with Ruth. I mean, it's just kind of showing how empty her life is. Would you say that? That she doesn't have like much going on? I don't know, because like, okay, I, I do have a bit of a thing like the, the, the Fisher family is very different from my own family. Like, um, <laughs> because... Like, my family... Um, well, actually, interestingly enough, I didn't realize this, but I think Ruth is slightly older than my mum. And my mum's young as, young as shit. Like, I mean, my uh-huh. mum's, like, 50-whatever, but, you right. know, if you saw a picture of Ruth and you saw a picture of my mum, you'd be like, oh, they're a mother and daughter. You know what I mean? Like, I think... <laughs> right, right. Which is... I think Frances Conway is made to look like that with the way she dresses and her hair and whatever. Right. But... That family is very, very different from mine because my, you know, obviously I live in Australia, my brother lives in Spain, my parents live in England. There's just really the four of us, like our family is quite small. Mm-hmm. It's more like my wife's family because mm-hmm. that's, um, she has four brothers, very, very close. And that kind of interaction where the mother would be sort of there, like, okay, here you bring of a Christmas, how many things do we need? That is my mother-in-law <laughs> to a T. But that is just who she is. Like she is a you know a wonderfully fun fun woman, constantly busy, constantly got stuff going on. But everything is foot to the floor. Just that <laughs> constant like who you bringing to Christmas? Who's this guy? What's happening here? Just got to, 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 you know, just just you know. I remember she came on holiday when we lived in Turkey. She came on holiday to see us, and at one point, like my wife sort of came running into the kitchen. I was like, what's up? And she's like. My mum's lying on the couch reading a book. <laughs> she's she's stopped. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, take a picture. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I think with I think I I think Ruth doesn't. I don't know if Ruth doesn't have anything, or that is just who she is. Like that level of. I would say it's a mixture of both because, at this point, you know, she's kind of dropped the plan, 
and she has no male. F- I mean, she has Nikolai, but you know, we see what happens with that. But I mean, it parallels with another character, and, and we'll get into it. But uh, if we can move to David and Nate are with Jesse Ray Johnson's family, and they're planning his funeral. And their opening dialogue here, and I mean, probably one of the true statements on Six Feet Under uh, regarding the funeral industry uh, that this biker gang. And I hate I hate saying the word gang because you know it has like a negative connotation, right? But this biker community. I'm trying to think what what a collective for bikers is. I think it is a gang, but there's also like chapters or something, isn't it? There is like a I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Biker gang. If I if I had watched Sons of Anarchy, I could probably <laughs> yeah. talk about. Yeah, exactly. I could talk about the funeral part of it, but I, I just call them biker gangs because that's just what yeah. they assume they are. But it's not to have a negative connotation. But uh, their funerals are, and I've experienced it firsthand. They are the best. Oh, awesome. Uh, like David says, they are big money spenders and understanding that, you know, we're there to serve a loved one and everything. And, and you know, we are honoring someone who died. It is also a business, right? Yeah. Uh, their funerals are kind of just like this. They're, they're large and ravish. And, you know, the, the they're just they're such party celebratory funerals and just kind of how this guy is like, I want top of the line. Like, mm. that's exactly you know, kind of how David's like, yes, a biker funeral, and and Nate's kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, no, David, David is like the the quote unquote true funeral director here because you you want these funerals. Uh, they yeah. may they may, you know, uh, close minded people in town who see your funeral home having a this big biker funeral. It might impact them, but in terms of celebrating, you know, a loved one, uh, the biker community, you know, definitely has it right. That's cool. Um, when when the when the guy asks if if the casket can be airbrushed, mm. and you know what's funny is like David, right? He's like the ultimate business guy, right? And, and we see here just kind of how he was all about the money. His first response is like, "We can't do that." Yeah, that's just something you would never say in terms of like business. You know, it's always you always got to throw like these euphemisms out there, right? Like, you know, I'll look into that. We'll see what we can mm. do. To just throw like a hard no was just like whoa. And again, I'm speaking from the funeral site here. Especially because like if he's saying, oh, you know, they're big money spenders and stuff like that, then I think you've just got to bend over backwards, haven't you? Because like, It'll, that's the point, and that's yeah. the point. That's that's why someone says money's not an issue or whatever the guy exactly what the guy says is. Yeah. It's it's I'm gonna give you this and do whatever it takes. But like even furthermore, the guy's like, I have the guy that can do it already. You know, it's not. It wasn't that much yeah, of a big ask yeah. at the end of it. You know. I, that that scene there, just like David's reactions to, I mean, Michael C. Hall again. I think every episode someone talks about it. His, I think when you stand him next to um, Pete, whatever Nate's real name is, um, Peter, Peter Krause. Krause. <laughs> yeah, like Peter Krause's face is a lot more expressive. Like you know, he goes big, wide eyes and all that, like big shitty yeah. grin, but. Michael C. Hall, like, there's a lot of scenes where the bikers are talking to him and he's reacting, he's just having split-second reactions to what they're saying, just all over his face. Yeah. And he's, he's so expressive and so funny without doing anything. Like, it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, and just that thing of, like, oh, we want to airbrush like this. And he just had, like, a little flick across his face of just, like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And yeah, then... Yeah. Pulls it all together, you know, and it's just that <laughs> constantly. And yeah, he's so good, so good to watch. But but the idea here of a Christmas party, you know, which makes Nate think of Nathaniel, his father. And what's funny is the Fishers being the Fishers, you know, is Nate asks David, 
if he thinks about him, referring to Nathaniel, and he can't admit he does. Uh, but Nate's flash, flashback here, uh, you know, he, there's this thing where he, you know, he's smoking weed, and then Nathaniel comes outside, and Nathaniel, when Nathaniel says, you know, no, no complaints, you know, maybe we've lowered our expectations so much, we're giving up on anything better than this. Uh, the way the way Nate received that, let me ask you this: do you, the way he received it and applied to anything, did you take a, like basically what was your takeaway from that flashback? Because I felt like he took that. You know, we've lowered our expectations so much and kind of fast forward to that that blow up right before they go in the bill, um, Margaret's Christmas Eve party where it's, you know, he brings up the thing about his anniversary, whatever. And then, you know, Nate, uh, Brenda just kind of shits on him. What did you how did you take this this interaction? Well, rather Nate's flashback. Yeah, I, I sort of just took it as another thing of like, oh, yeah, so Nathaniel was a bit wild and all that. But I think you're right. It does. It's almost like Nate realizes that because Nathaniel says the whole thing about low expectations and Nate just laughs, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then, but then it was really good, like you say, to go to that scene with, um, and it was a little bit later on, when Brenda sort of gives him her usual shit and he just, he suddenly got teeth and he's like, oh, if you don't want to be with me, just fuck off, you know, just, he's just had, and he just reaches that point. And it might be a case of him just thinking like, yeah, people do just give me shit all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I just laugh it off because I'm that guy. I'm Mr. Seattle. <laughs> and and he just has enough. And it's 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 good. It's good to see him finally uh, do something. You Because know, like in the past episodes where Brenda said things that are utterly awful to him. Yeah. And he just ignores them or he laughs them off or he makes a joke. You're like, nah, dude, she's a terrible person. You need to let her know that you don't enjoy this. <laughs> I mean, the idea of Nate trying to be whatever level of romantic you want to call it, right? But the idea of him trying to be romantic and being like, I can't believe it's been a year already. And Brendan just be like, I know it feels like 20. Like, <laughs> it's just like, the, what, what, what are you doing? If, if that's how, you know, you feel or whatever. And, you know, who knows what's going on with Brenda. Again, sort of, I don't know if I did mention this last week. I know I, I, this is a sort of a running thread for all of my episodes, this idea that, that there's, everyone's quite immature and there's a bit of a high school thing. But, like, the way that, the way that Brenda treats Nate and the way he reacts, yeah. usually, where he just sort of takes it and all that, and, and like you say, just sort of, just, just a puppy dog, it, it does sort of remind me of, um, of, of probably of myself and, and of friends of mine, like, in high school, when you had, like, a girlfriend who was a bit rubbish or <laughs> I knew friends who had boyfriends who were rubbish and you just put up with it because there was no one else you were in a high school you you know I, I know the girl who I dated in high school when we split up well that was it you know that was you know the the, the pool was tainted because <laughs> I couldn't go out with any of her friends right and anyone who didn't like her was sort of like well you you know I was tired with that brush and so on um, so it's sort of like I think we end up getting back together actually saying that um, but you know Nate you're a grown up man just if you're not happy you can hoofer and the world you know, to, you know for a cliche there's plenty more fish in the sea man no and there is you know yeah and I don't know if I spoke about it with you or someone else but he's not a bad looking dude he's a good looking guy like he's yes there are plenty 2002, of 2002 <laughs> he's gorgeous <laughs> You know, in, in that, yeah, because when you do see him, he takes his shirt off and the camera sort of lingers on it and you're like, yeah, that's 
that's as I, I believe the expression is dad bod in this day and age. You know, this you know, he's just got a, he's got a bit of muscle and he's not chubby. And it's like, oh god, Nate's Nate's a locker. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but in two thousand and two, yeah, he'd be killing it. <laughs> Uh, and to hop off of of Nate's flashback, if we could uh, jump to David's yeah. flashback on Nathaniel. Oh, love this. The way this was filmed was incredible. I was going to say, for, first I wanted to speak on the funeral director note that if we could assume that David walked from the embalming room all the way upstairs, which is three floors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he still has his apron on that he's embalming in. Besides, yeah. you know, being a, a, a hazard, <laughs> and it's probably wildly <laughs> uncomfortable to just take it off. But, you know, I, I guess to kind of show how the business work-minded David always is, you know, with it being Christmas mm-hmm. and all, and he has it on. But here's why we kind of see David is the way he is, to me, right? Because, like, David's trying to get a body ready for a viewing later today, and Nathaniel's sort of telling him to, you know, take a load off and have a drink. Yeah, I, th- I thought this one... Like of all of the five flashbacks, mm-hmm. I, I thought this one and the one with Ruth were the best ones. Mm-hmm. But this one, like David walks in and looks at the box of decorations because the light, the the Christmas is uh, the Christmas tree isn't done. Yeah. But then the camera pulls back and the tree is done and Nathaniel's doing it and then it pulls back again and there's David and all his gear. Right, right. And then it did it towards the end as well. Like when it moved off the couch, like everything just darkened as the camera moved across the room and yeah, then David yeah. was back yeah. in the modern day. And I think as well, it is. it was quite interesting to see um, how well they... Because obviously that... that uh, the flashback is flashing back to the first episode, isn't it? It is. He's about to go to the airport and David's embalming the old woman who is the old woman in the first episode right, where right. the guy's like, if there's any justice, she's shoveling <laughs> shit in hell. Right, right, right. Um, so you, this is like pre-Six Feet Under David. This is David before, you know, he has to come out and before he's more comfortable with himself. So he is, you know, big rod up his ass, just very stiff. And it makes perfect sense that Nathaniel would be like, yeah, come sit with me and have a talk. And he's just <laughs> like, nah, I've got work to do and just, just pisses off. And... Obviously, it is that sort of terrible final interaction that people worry about. That you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna have a conversation with someone. It's gonna be the last time you ever speak to them. Right, right. And it's gonna be meaningless. So you're gonna hurt them or something like that. Like, I, um, I sometimes do this with uh, with my wife. Like, as I'm, I I leave the house before her in the morning, and sometimes it'll just come to me out of nowhere. So I'll be like, we'll be talking shite or like you know making fun of each other. And you know, the other day I think I was leaving and I was like. Make sure no one farts on you on the subway. <laughs> That's the, the last thing you want her to know about you. Yeah. <laughs> and then as I close the door, it's like, hold on, what if something happens to me? So open the door, it's like, love you. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Oh, your your wife's flashback of you, if that's the last thing, that would be so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's, right. that's what I was, just, I was thinking about all through this episode. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's a while. Uh, w- w- once we discuss all the flashbacks, there is something I-, I wanted to touch upon. But let me ask you here: when when Nathaniel tells David to sit down, and you know he sort of does that, you know, tell tell me what you want for Christmas. David puts down the drink and he says he has to get back to work. Did you put any thought into what do you think David was thinking there? Like, did you? Because he kind of like hesitates for a moment and then he goes back to work, but. At least I, the way I took it is there was a moment where David was thinking about something, whether it's saying or doing something, and he just kind of is like, 
you know, misses whoever has to be ready by four. Did you put any thought into what he might have wanted to say? Well, I don't know, because this is obviously, with this being like pre-six feet under David, you don't know if it's like he wants more responsibility, or he wants more money, or he wants more work, or whatever. Or, you know, he might have been wanting to be honest about himself in some way, you know, or like mention anything, mention his racquetball partner or something. You know what I mean? like, so. Well, yeah, that, that's what I had thought, that he wanted to tell him that he was gay. He just kind of, you know, he would his father is someone that he probably could have told this to. I mean, I don't know if we ever get an idea that Nathaniel knew. I, th- I, I think everyone well. had like an inkling of it, but Nate yeah. was the only one to kind of walk in and be like, is no one going to recognize this? And I think, I, I, I don't think yeah. anyone, I think after Nate, I think Nathaniel, his father is someone he could have, you know, spoke to him about. But I just, yeah. there's that quick moment where, where David's just kind of thinking about what he wants to do or say. And then he just kind of goes, you know, Misses whoever's got to be ready by four. Yeah. I, I took that as he wanted to say that, but just kind of, you know, let it go. Yeah, because, like I say, Nathaniel remains a cipher throughout. So you've always got that idea of, again, like like a dead person, you, you are sort of like, you always, the things you don't know about them, you can only assume or you can only guess by your interactions. Right. And that sort of thing of him. I like to say from that, you're like, well, we know Nathaniel was a bit of a wild card and a bit of a man about town. Yeah. And a, a, he seems like a pretty smart, on-the-ball guy. So you got to assume... And also, he would have spent, probably, out of all the characters who we meet, mm-hmm. the most time with David. Mm-hmm. You know, if they've been working together for, shite, you know, 15 years, 16 years, or whatever, he, you've, you've got to assume he knows. And maybe that's what... That's it. Maybe that was the moment he's trying to open up that, that conversation and move it forward. And, you know, you see, David's just like... Nope. Yeah, yeah. Not today. And that's a great point because that I definitely want to talk about that when we get uh, to the end of the flashbacks. Uh, if we could move to Brenda, she's out clothes shopping and in her haphazard phase of sexual journeys of sorts, she locks eyes with the guy and they do this sexual touchy feely act in the store. You know, only to get broken up by the store clerk telling the man that his wife is waiting for him. Uh, my first thought is, if she didn't break this up, where was this going? <laughs> like, yeah, they probably would have ran out of the store. But you know, later when she's telling Melissa, who's who's Brenda's escort girlfriend client, however, even she's kind of startled at this, you know. But the most reasonable, logical question Melissa asks is, you know, are you possibly maybe questioning Mary Nate? And Brenda's yeah. like, nope, not at all. Yeah, just wild. Like, <laughs> you're a smart woman, Brenda. Put two and two together. Like, I, I do feel sorry for Melissa because I feel like Melissa's sort of met Brenda and been like, oh, yeah, this bush woman seems cool and she's got some interesting stories and so on. And then has just, like, been like, oh, great, now I'm just... Now this, this bitch is unraveling <laughs> and I am tied to her. And and also, as well, I, um, I did make a note that says... Uh, Brenda's book sounds like it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I never had any... I know everyone in the show and in the Six Feet on the World is always... And they talk about the book. It's always this, oh my God, have you read it? I'm with you, man. Zero interest to read this book. Like, none. Because it would, it would be Six Feet Under <laughs> if it was only the Brenda scenes. <laughs> like, oh. like, nah, man. Not into right, it. Right, right. <laughs> but when when Brenda and Nate uh, arrive to Margaret's for Christmas Eve, and we sort of get the we see prior that Margaret has a special guest, 
And we see that this special guest is Billy, who's out of the institution, which Brenda committed him to. Uh, this is a dickhead move by Margaret, right? Like, there's oh, no, 100%. yeah, there's no, there's no way to rationalize it. I, I guess you could rationalize it by saying if she would have told Brenda, she maybe would have not came. Yeah. But I mean, like Brenda says, there's a reason why she has the right to know, you know, because they're less interaction. Yeah. Uh, Margaret, Margaret getting Billy out and having her, having him stay with her. It, it parallels to, you know, to me, and we'll talk about it later, uh, Ruth and Nikolai, just sort of, uh, yeah. someone, you know, someone to keep there by the side. But uh, Billy's dialogue with Nate, uh, Billy apologizes, and, you know, he also says, I'll always be sick, just the cards I was dealt. I can manage it with medication, but it's something I'll have to deal with the rest of my life. And just the way Nate receives it, I mean, he's... Billy's kind of talking about Nate himself here without yeah, knowing it, right? Of course. Just the way he's kind of like, he's always going to be this way. Yeah. Which, it, I mean, Billy is a fascinating character, and a pe- well, because he's a Chenoweth, he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it is interesting how, how much psychology is such a big part of this show. Right. But it also has that thing of, like, obviously, I know you've spoken in the past about how dated the show is sometimes. Yeah. And I think sometimes with this, the psychology is quite dated. Like, not so much the concepts, but the idea of, like, I, I've written in the note, but I haven't given myself enough to work it out. I've just put psychology such a big part of the show, but dated. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it is that sort of thing of, a lot of the concepts they bring up about um, transference and, and Billy's yeah. depression and just everything. It's all stuff that like probably in 2000, 2001, 2002 was quite new, quite cutting edge and not something that the public knew about. Like it would have been something that you would have had to learn from a psychologist or in therapy. Whereas now right. we've watched enough of this stuff and we're a bit more savvy to the world that you're like, yeah, obviously. Like, when Billy's, like, manic-depressive and that sort of comes out, you're like, yeah, that's, he's clearly manic-depressive. We all know what that is. <laughs> you know, that is, that is you know, the, the good thing about the modern world is that, in well, for a lot of people, like, the stigma of mental illness is falling away and people are more open to talk about how they're feeling and what's happening with them. So we begin to learn more. Whereas in 2002, I think it would have definitely been, Billy's lost his mind, let's hide him away. You know, let's, he, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, if we can put him in the attic, we'll put him in the attic. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're just more thing. we're just more informed now as a society. That's kind of yeah. like why this guy is somewhat dated because we just know more today. You but know? it's dated. But at the same time, at at the time in two thousand and two, like like I said, like that thing of having these conversations and bringing this stuff out into the world. I, I would be very intrigued to sort of read anything about Six Feet Under in terms of psychology. And I imagine there are people who the show would have helped. Um, right. Who would have watched it and been like, oh shit, no, that's what's happening to me. You know, or <laughs> that's that's what's happening to my friend. And then they've gone from there. Like, who knows? But I just found that a, a fascinating thing. No, it's a good point. Ruth is working at the flower shop and... Nikolai is questioning <laughs> why Ruth isn't wearing any panties like he had asked. And in the most Ruth answer ever, she answers because it's not hygienic. 
<laughs> and she goes on about how the, the the panty she does buy is is cotton three in a pack at Target or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the complete reverse of the Brenda scene, you know, where the guy's kind of yeah, filling her yeah. up and she is shutting him down. Like, I, I <laughs> right. don't I don't see the appeal of Nikolai as well. Like, Ruth can do better. Yeah. I don't. He's just yeah. like, ugh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't see it either. Um, but again, I, I, I guess, you know what? I can see it in a later scene uh, once we get there. But, you know, we see here later that as Ruth go to pick up uh, Nikolai for Midnight Mass, we see Nikolai has been beaten up and we learn he has broken legs and everything. Right. And then on Christmas morning, the fishes arrive and <laughs> the way Nikolai's just sitting on the couch it's just incredibly awkward because even, you know, Nikol- Nikolai just made himself a home on the couch and he's telling people, oh, don't worry, you know, I'm just here. Um, paralleling like what I said about Billy and Margaret, Ruth keeps him out of the hospital for company. Yeah. That's the kind of, I saw it the same way, like kind of so lonely that forget it. I'll just take on this burden of taking care of someone who needs immense amount of help. Different kind of help, right? Because Nikolai's legs are broken, but Billy needs mental whatever i don't even know how to classify that kind of help but there's there's definitely a parallel here between the two right yeah definitely and um like ruth having a pet like having him there just to sort of feed and wait on so she's sort of got her she's got companionship but she has someone who's reliant so she's sort of got her children back um and yeah like you say and then margaret's got billy who's gonna be billy's pretty much completely um reliant upon margaret you know and so that's going to make her feel helpful and useful in the world there is a third one of these but we'll have to get to it at the end of the episode because i don't want to sort of jump too far ahead but i think that 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 parallel runs and runs and runs but we'll come to that interesting interesting yeah uh claire's flashback i don't have much on it on the surface and it's something i wanted to talk about at the end of everything, but it's essentially Nathaniel asking Claire to spend time home with the family. Uh, th- this flashback within itself, did you take away anything away from it? Not really, I, and I was starting to worry that the flashbacks were just going to be everyone sort of had a bit of a shit last interaction with Nathaniel, <laughs> and it was just right. going to be right. just wall to wall guilt of just like, oh, you know, he asked me if I wanted to do this, and I. I, I instead went to go smoke meth with Gabriel, you know, and so on and so on. Um, which I was like, I don't, I feel like the show's better than that. I feel like that you, they've got more, like the, it does redeem itself actually with the Ruth flashback. But I was like, yeah, I get it. Everyone sort of doesn't want someone to die and no one ends every conversation with a declaration of love. You know, you do end conversations with, bye, I'll, I'll see you later. Um, pick up some bread from the shop and that's your last interaction line (laughs) we're here at the fisher christmas dinner and keith blessing dinner uh kind of like we talked about in the last episode right where where keith had the dream and it was somewhat realistic yeah and you know just his dreams are are more realistic but whereas david's is you know like we see here keith is doing his blessing and david dreams up this angel cloud with with a halo glow around keith and everything my ass off that. that was amazing it's just so quick it's spur of the moment it's just yeah it, it's good stuff and you know usually for six feet under dinner scenes there's usually a lot going on i, I don't remember much going on besides just that because it kind of curtails into the biker funeral and everything yeah that was quite interesting because 
as well, like obviously, as as uh, as you've discussed, like the the dinner scenes in Six Feet Under are top tier. Like no other show does a dinner scene as well. So I was like, "Ooh, Christmas! This is going to be cracking!" Right, right. And like I said, they sort of like put the goose down. He said grace. He was an angel. Uh, um, Nikolai was off his tits on um, pain meds, and uh, and that was right. it, I think. And then it sort of then cuts to Claire and Brenda drinking wine, yeah. and that was it. Yeah. And basically, to to open and close right Rico's storyline, uh, we see Rico and Vanessa are planning their own Christmas, and Vanessa nags Rico about why he fired Ramon to the point that he breaks down and tells her that he caught Ramon having sex with another man in his house. Uh, I am not someone who's super handy. I, I like to think I'm more handy than most, but <laughs> this patchwork that, that, that Rico is doing on the wall is just awful. Like it's not, yeah. it's just, if, if, if you're someone who's done, uh, you know, any wall work or plus or anything, uh, I get it. It's a TV show, so I'm not gonna, you know, rip it apart, but it's just, <laughs> oh God. But it's, it's good to show that Rico is, I mean, well, as Vanessa says it, you know, you can put someone's face back together, <laughs> right. but you can't flying out of war like yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but uh rico's flashback right uh nathaniel lets rico take the day off and lets david embalm mrs doyle uh you know just the way nathaniel says like toss david the easy ones yeah and again this is again i i keep saying this because I, I need to talk about all the flashbacks before we get to the end but uh just within this time frame anything on on their flashback well that was sort of when, when by the time we got to this one i was sort of like oh okay so that that's a perfectly good final interaction. Like if that was if that was your final interaction with a person who is essentially your boss. I mean, you know, I don't like. I think I can't remember obviously what happens in the rest of this show. But sort of like at the moment, Rico is so isolated from the rest of the the plot that like him having a flashback to Nathaniel, you are just sort of like he, he was your boss. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, yeah, my boss at work, great guy, he's ace, and you know all that. But I, yeah, I wouldn't be like a year hence, like if he passed away, thinking about our final interaction. You'd just be like, oh yeah, that guy passed away. Okay, cool, cool. Moving yeah. On. But like, it, it's a, it, I don't know. I, I feel like they they're trying to keep Rico as relevant as possible. Because like the Ramon plot doesn't cross over with the Fishers in any way, and the the house doesn't. It's like well pick what you're going to do. He needs to be in the... He needs to be doing something. You need to have him embalming someone or something in the plot line. Yeah. I feel like they sort of started off the show... I mean, it's it's a testament to... Uh, is it Freddie Rodriguez? Yeah, Freddie Rodriguez. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a testament to him that they do keep that character around because obviously... I mean, that actor's ace and he does play that character really well, but it would be very, very easy to sort of just drop that whole plot line. Yeah. Whether or not... And maybe it will come back around and it will start to make more sense, but at the moment... The past couple of episodes I've watched have just been like, you just, you're satellite. He's he's off in the he's distance. total satellite, and to my memory, by season's end of season two, he does become somehow, some way, and I, it's I don't want to say how, but he does become a lot more important to the storyline. But yeah, what, what what's been going on these past few episodes is totally auxiliary to, to anything that's going on. And like I said, we could kind of close the storyline right here, right where yeah. Uh, at the end of their Christmas dinner, he, he's putting stuff away. He has this flashback. Ramon comes in because Vanessa opened her mouth about about Ramon, kind of beats the shit out of him, and, and that was it. 
I don't know. I don't have I don't have much on that besides because it's not like it relates to David or anything. It's just his wife told him, and his brother comes in, beats the shit out of him, and that's it. Yeah, and and like that has been a plot line now that has run for two episodes. <laughs> like it has been, or maybe even three. And yeah, yeah, that. I mean, I because I sort of expected last week because uh, I remembered that Ramon kicked shit out of him. And I was like, oh, okay, so I was thinking last week, I was like, okay, so he finds them, he tells Vanessa, Vanessa tells Ramon's wife, Ramon kicks the shit out of him, that's all one episode. Because I'm not like, oh, the, oh god, I hope we need to spread this out over a couple of weeks. Like, I, I don't know whether next week it'll be a thing of, like, you know, Rico goes to work and he's, he's the shit kicked out of him and he has to explain to David what's happened and that becomes a plot. I don't know, I can't remember. But I don't know, it's just sort of like, shit, we've got to give something to Rico. Yeah. Oh, we'll have this little plot line, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the payoff will come next week. Something I want to touch upon quick: uh, David, Keith, and Taylor are sitting on the steps, and they're watching the biker funeral home. The biker funeral, excuse me. And Taylor comments how no one must have liked this man because of how much they're celebrating. And, and kind of what mm. I was saying earlier in, in the episode: you know, funerals are sort of on an upward trend towards being more celebratory than morbid. Uh, the, the traditional funeral, like like this show shows us, is on the downside, right? And, and more celebrations yeah. are being had. Like even even the terminology we use now is instead of like funeral or whatever, there's a lot more like life celebrations or, or mm. you know it's it's life celebrations instead of like memorial mass. You know they're kind of even like changing the terminology on stuff. Okay, that's interesting. Because you know it, it's funny. It's like a funeral is a life event, right? Like yeah. friends and family gather. You see people you haven't seen in a long time. You're honoring someone. You have to come dressed somewhat appropriate. Like, if I had told you those things without telling you it's a funeral, you know, you would say it's a party of sorts. You're celebrating someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a wedding. I always say weddings and funerals are, they run really parallel in terms of what <laughs> purpose they serve. Uh, but it, it, I remember the first episode we had done, I had asked you about whatever different funeral customs are over there. And it's something I wanted to start on this show and I kind of did it for one episode and then I dropped it. But now being that this is your third time on the show and I know I'm just sort of hitting you out of the dark with this, any idea of how you want to be honored, celebrated, disp- disposed or or that route? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> it's something I, I should ask every guest because, I mean, we are sitting here the show is in a funeral home, does deal with death, and it's just something It's something that yeah. always gets someone's mind, you know, working and just, how do they want to go? What's what's their funeral going to be like? Oh, so, um, my plan, like, me and my, well, I think this is something that's gone through a few people. I think it's a, some sort of, like, my wife and her family may have mentioned this. Maybe it's just me and my wife. So we sort of, the idea was, uh, so I would be, both of us, would be cremated, and then our ashes are mixed in with the roots of a tree, and then the tr- and then the trees there. And you can always just look at the tree on the because my brother, uh, my brother's my brother's my wife's brother is a farmer. Okay. Has a huge shitload of land, so we're like, okay, cool. Maybe we should plant a tree there, and that will be just like somewhere on a hill, and we can always just look at the hill, and then everyone's ashes will go into the tree, and it'll just be like, oh, cool. So that's that's the tree. Um, but the actual event. Shite. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. You, you, you will be on a future episode, so if it's something you want to give some thought and then come back to. Because it is something fun to think about, right? Like, how do you want your funeral to be? And 
just sort of picture your friends or your family there. Uh, maybe fun isn't the word, right? Uh, something no, creative no, I, to yeah. think about. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I, someone did ask me this a few years ago, and I remember just like, they're like, oh, you know, what, what do you want to have at your funeral? I was like, I don't give a shit. I won't be there. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, right. What do I care? You, well, you can arrange it. <laughs> right, right. Well, then, like, a, so, something for, for next episode that, that you're yes. on. Uh, maybe we'll, I will, we'll I will back stare to death in the face, <laughs> and I will tell you about how I want to be memorialized. Okay, okay. yeah, cool. <laughs> Uh, to move to move back to the Johnson funeral, uh, Nate shares a conversation with Miss Johnson, and she shares how Mr. Johnson really lived life to the fullest, but if he was careful at all, he wouldn't have enjoyed life as much. Uh, if I can, uh, let me just add to uh, just a funny comment that Miss Johnson said. Mr. Johnson's two favorite things were riding his motorcycle and riding me, and that's not me. Uh-huh. That's Miss Johnson, right? Um, oh, that was romantic. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take a genius, right, to figure out how Nate received this with his AVM, but uh, y- your your thoughts, your takeaway from their conversation. Oh, I think even without the AVM, this would have just been the kind of, like, bullshit thing that Nate would have, would have really appealed to Nate. Like, if she'd had that conversation with David, he would have been like, okay, well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. And then just kind of just walked right. away, you know. <laughs> Whereas Nate's like, yeah, live life to the fullest. And, you know, mm-hmm. dude, dude. Don't kid yourself, man. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> like, he... Yeah, because I sort of, like, I quite cynically, and he's like, oh, yeah, this guy, like, this biker guy, and he's sort of, like, living vicariously through him. To be fair, that guy was a mall Santa, and, you know, that the episode's open with him, like, sat in, sat in his pants, just, like, watching football, drinking beer, and then he rides up on a motorbike to be Santa. Right. Like, Nate's got a pretty good life as it is you know and this guy was obviously probably super happy and everything and all that but like it's just just sort of classic nate to just be like someone's doing it right and he's doing it wrong like <laughs> nate you've got a perfectly good life mate you know right. or well maybe not actually saying that your, your job's a bit weird and your your <laughs> girl your fiance i think actively hates you <laughs> You know, not not even subtly, just actively despises you. Right in your face, hates you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, maybe 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 these right to sort of latch onto the biker thing. I guess. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. That's the sort of that sort of like pl- platitudey stuff that sort of tends to not really appeal to me. Like, I need <laughs> when they're like, oh, you know, live life to the fullest. Like, no, no, I need I need a method. Not, not the results. I need the bit right, that you right, say. Right, this right. is how you do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm. I think having the bikers at Christmas was genius. Like, it would have been very easy, I think, to have had an old man who died caroling or some shit, you know, and made it very Christmassy. Yeah. But bikers are such an unChristmassy thing. But at the same time, you get all that good Christmas stuff of good cheer and friends coming together and having a having you know <clears throat> the guy uh who gives the eulogy yeah who is actually as well same as last week he's also someone who was from deadwood okay. um and he gives the eulogy and then it's like the in and out burger truck <laughs> arrives and they all have a big feed and it's like yeah this is christmas uh-huh, uh-huh. it's a bunch of bunch of people who love each other together uh, they're all going to get pissed up, they're all going to eat a load of food, and they're going to party into the night. Christmas. Brilliant. 
<laughs> yeah, I yeah, think that's, yeah. that's really good. And that's funny you say that because it's like, what's the furthest thing from Christmas possible? And it's like, yeah, yeah. how about a bunch of biker gang motorcycles? That's really funny. Yeah. At a funeral as well. Yeah, 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 right. But yeah, I mean, if you just boiled it down to just to events and feelings, like, yeah, no, I'd go with that. That's good. Mm-hmm. Quick moment I just wanted to bring up before we get to, to how it actually progresses in the storyline. Uh, just Claire's instant message handle when she was talking with Billy. Uh, Claire, Claire's handle was I see dead people and Billy's was Billy Batty. Billy Batty. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll get to them talking in a bit. Uh, I wanted to move over to... Uh, Ruth's flashback of of Nathaniel. She she sort of tucks Nikolai into bed and looks through the glass near the sink where it's kind of the last time she saw Nathaniel. And her flashback, you know, it's it's the last moment right before anyone saw Nathaniel. Yeah. As he heads out to go pick up Nate. Uh, when he goes in for the kiss, right, and Ruth sort of stops him with food. On my first watch, I was just kind of like, huh, that that's that's rather weird, like kind of. I don't know, just how the flashback, whatever. But then I kind of remember that she's well into her, her affair at this point with Hiram. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of the disconnect there. Yeah. I, I, I sort of, of all the flashbacks, I thought that was the best one because that was the one that felt the most natural. Like, him sort of like, you know, he breaks the swirl in the hummus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and she tells him off. And then, as he, so he goes in for the kiss and she puts the... Uh, celery or whatever in his mouth. Yeah. And but they both have a bit of a laugh with each other, and then he gets in the car. And obviously, it it does sort of tie into the next. I guess the next time they would have spoke to each other would have been the first episode when she's telling him off for smoking and being unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's trying to. You know. But I thought that was that was a perfectly you know a couple's interaction. They're not going to end everything like you say with a declaration of love, but. <laughs> There is that thing of like Nathaniel and Ruth, you very, very rarely see them interact with each other. And when you do, you are just like, ah, I get this. I get why she's, why she's like the way she is. Like, because even <laughs> if she was having an affair, she was, you know, this, these two would, had something. And, and it felt real and it feels honest and all that. And then he's taken away and the, the storyline didn't stick with Ruth. It followed the kids. Yeah. And she's just sort of, we see her in relation to how she interacts with the three kids mm-hmm. rather than by herself. And you're like, yeah, at some point, someone's going to have to ask this woman if she's all right. Because <laughs> her husband has died. And I feel like we sort of, you keep brushing, because she, she does get sort of brushed over quite a lot right. throughout the show. And then, because obviously a, a woman with three kids should not have to turn to the plan for companionship when she's grieving especially a woman with three kids two of whom are funeral directors whose job is to deal with grief right 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 but yeah and i thought that flashback just worked for me i thought that that's perfect that that feels like what would have actually happened in a real life well, it's funny you say that, you know, her sons are, are two female directors that deal with grief, because that, that's, sort of, that's sort of what I wanted to talk about after we discussed all the, the, the flashbacks. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just a quick thing right before we get into it. Uh, Nathaniel says, you know, air, airport traffic is going to be murder, which I thought was rather <laughs> funny of what happens. Oh, that's good. But, uh, you know, they all show this template. But to me, after, after watching the, the, the flashbacks and just sort of putting them together in my mind, and it's just sort of how the fishes are, like... 
Nathaniel's there sort of, he's, I wouldn't say he's reaching out, but he's talking to all of them, right? And he's trying to have a heart to heart and mm. everyone kind of pushes him away. It, yeah. It's like this template of how none of them are able to communicate. Cause you know, Nathaniel, well, I mean, I'm sorry, when he's talking with Nate, there's just real, this cliche talk. And mm. you know, David, David kind of leaves just to go do work. And Claire's like, yes, yes, I'll be home. Don't worry about it. And and even with Ruth, it's just kind of he goes in for a kiss and, you know, just go whatever, yeah. you know, to pick up. It was just and then you like kind of like we saw in the beginning of the episode, Nate asked David, hey, do you ever think of dad? And David's like, nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like none of them. And like you said, no, like funeral directors yeah. should be able to deal with grief and whatnot. None of them talk to each other. There's this, there's this like wall. There's this, this firewall between the fishers and being able to communicate their feelings. What's funny about it is the only positive emotional interaction I felt Nathaniel had was with Rico, who's yeah. who's, who's not a fisher. You know, they, he was uh, able to be, you know, enjoy your family, go, go ahead and don't worry about this embalming goes, you know, and, and Rico has this real heart to heart. Thank you. And they shake hands and everything. It's just it, it's funny, like, and, and that's the way the show is, right? And like how Nathaniel, uh, Nate doesn't tell anyone about his AVM and yeah, just how how disconnected all the fishers are, despite being a family run business. Ask anyone who has a family run business like you hate you hate your siblings and, and your mother, your father, business wise, right? Because you guys are working together every day. You don't mix family with business, right? That's like a rule. Yeah. Uh, but here, you just see how disconnected they all are, despite living in the same house since they were, however old, you know. Uh, yeah. I just kind of like that about the flashbacks. Is like Nathaniel was sitting there. I wouldn't say he was actively trying to communicate, right? He wasn't having a heart to heart. It was it was sort of veiled the way he was trying to connect with them, but. Yeah. Uh, just the way everyone just kind of, you know, shut him out. And that's everyone's last image of, of Nathaniel is, David, I'm going to go back to work. Nathaniel, you know, thanks, Dad. I'll see you. I'll see you next month, you know. Yeah. Um, and again, ended by the fact of Rico. Rico having the most positive flashback, you know. Well, you do sort of have that thing as well of um, whether Nathaniel is sort of saying to Rico, don't end up like me. Like, don't, don't put your whole life into your work. Right, And right. then, you know, you're, you're a stranger in your own home. Because, yeah, like you say, that the, there is that thing of... It was almost to the point of, like, at some points during the flashbacks, it felt as though Nathaniel knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not trying to make out that this, this show is magic or anything like no, that. No, no, I It was I sort of you. like a thing of, obviously, we know he's going to die. Mm-hmm. So the show, it felt as though it was acted that way. It's like every interaction was sort of Nathaniel knew it was the last time he was going to speak to them. Yeah. And each time he just hit a wall and was just rebuffed. And then, yeah, like his sort of saying to Rico, like, oh, you know, you go, go enjoy your family and go spend time with them was sort of like his final lesson, I guess, to Rico. Right. Um, which... I don't know if sort of the flashback for Rico sort of played out into his plot of like, you know, enjoy your family. And then obviously the next scene is one of his family members kicking seven kinds of shite out of him. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was, that was interesting. And it was, it was well done. I, I needed all of the flashbacks before I could appreciate it. Right. Like I, yeah, I felt yeah, as though, too. yeah, once I had all five together, I was like, ah, I see what this is now. You can kind of, like you say, you can see the pattern or you can see what they're trying to say. But yeah, yeah no, it was it was very good, and it was 
the most Nathaniel we've seen for ages, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the most Nathaniel we've seen in an episode by far. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I, yeah, I mean, I said this before, like, I, I, um, I, I would love to see more Nathaniel. It would have, but I mean, the show sort of has to start with him in the past tense. Yeah, you yeah. can't sort of have an episode where he's in it and then kill him off at the end. It's sort <laughs> of like, no, we never get to know Nathaniel except through the interactions he had with our main characters, which right, is fascinating, right. which is, you know, yeah. And, and, and you know what's funny too is uh, Richard Jenkins, who plays Nathaniel. Yeah. Like, he's just a cool dude if you've seen him oh, in anything yeah. else. That's just, that's just kind of exactly how it is, you know? It's like, uh, hey, why don't you have some eggnog? This is eggnog. <laughs> this is whiskey. Like that's. I feel like he's like that in real life. And whether you call that oh, yeah. good acting or anything like that, I feel like that's that's completely you know uh, Richard Jenkins or Nathaniel. You know. Oh well, just a slight Richard Jenkins tangent. If you um, there's a movie uh, Bone Tomahawk. I don't know if you've seen that. It's like a horror western. Okay. Uh, with Kurt Russell, that is one of those movies that sort of it came out and it's yeah it's really good and people talk about it, but. Richard Jenkins is in it and should have won an Oscar. And I don't say that like, oh, you know, oh, Oscars ignore horror. It was as good a performance as any I've ever seen. Like, it is, it is incredible. Because even to the point where it took me about 25 minutes of watching the movie before I realized it was Richard Jenkins. <laughs> like, he's, it's incredible. Like, so, yeah, Bone Tomahawk, brilliant film. And Richard oh, Jenkins oh. is chef kiss, chef kiss, <laughs> genius. Awesome, awesome. The interactions at the end when when Nate finds out about Billy messaging Claire. Yeah. I every time I rewatch, every time I got so infuriated when this scene came up because Nate just being, you know, a protective brother telling Brenda to tell Billy to stay away. Yeah. And this just sort of opens the door for Brenda to to lash back at Nate. Like by the end of their their interaction, I got so infuriated with Brenda. Being yeah. that Nate is the one who had to console her. Like, Nate had to be the one who was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, it'll be okay. When yeah. it's like, no, that's your fucking brother who fucking would have killed you if he had the chance, if, if it yeah. would have gone out any further. And that's just Nate being protective. And it's just like, a big thing in my life, and it's something, I'm not going to get too personal here, but with my girlfriend, it's just like, when we fight... I don't. I just want you to say okay. Like if it's something we're gonna we're gonna discuss about whatever. Like if if, if I'm on the right or you're on the right, I just want like an okay, and like you know mm -hmm. we sort of move on. I don't need all like this this Brenda lashing back, and I guess that's just my personality. Brenda lashing back and just you know telling Nate to shut the fuck up, infuriated me. I know there's a lot other stuff going on behind mm. Brenda, right? But it just it, that their whole relationship infuriates me. But this scene in particular just infuriated me. Yeah, I, I've, I've said it many, many times on this podcast, on other podcasts. I don't get the relationship, and I don't enjoy it, and I can't put myself in it. I can't... Like, like I said, like when I watched this show when I was a teenager, I assumed this was what relationships were. Because, <laughs> as I've said before, I couldn't put myself in the David and Keith thing, because that was two men, and that wasn't something that I could understand. And obviously, as I said last week, like it's completely different to that. Like that, that's that's just me being a kid. But like just watching this, I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't. I, I, I get bits of it. I understand Brenda's sort of unraveling, but 
I need I don't see what we're supposed to take from it. I don't know what I don't know what Alan Ball wants from me. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have come. There's people I know, and I have conversations with them, and there are people I dislike, and I have conversations with them, and they talk in a certain way, and I just want to stop them and just say, "What do I need to say <laughs> to end this interaction? What is it you want from me?" And that is how I feel with this. I'm just like, I just want Alan Ball to come on screen and be like, "Sean, you need to feel this emotion. Right. You need right. to expect this thing to happen." Like. Yeah, because what? I don't... Like you say, that whole scene was infuriating. And I... It, yeah, just just infuriating. Just, I don't get what what they want from me. Because you don't want that couple to be together. I right. like Peter Krause. I like um, Rachel Griffiths. But I don't like those particular characters. I like Nate more than Brenda. But there's not, you know... I, I, I don't get it i don't get if it's supposed to be a thing in like 2002 it was like yeah but they're so sexy and that's cool like because they're not yeah you know yeah. it's that's not enough even and like i don't i don't know what you want i don't know i don't know <laughs> I, I listened to my first few episodes that i did by myself before i started bringing on guests and like i think yeah. i said it every episode i was just like <laughs> i'm not intelligent enough to discuss their relationship and it's just like here i am you know, halfway through season two and it's just like yeah I still don't know like so, yeah, yeah what's the takeaway what's the lesson what's the character arc because I, I guess I don't know again we could discuss each each episode and how she goes but yeah like I don't get it now she's getting felt up by men in, in in stores but it doesn't really lead to much and then they finally have sex and whatever uh, I'm with you I, I, I don't know it yet uh, I had Colin Llewellyn on an episode and he kind of explained it but even then, I still wasn't able to take it, and then not not to Colin's fault, more to to mine, just not understanding it. But if I could push this somewhat forward, where you know yeah. after after this fighting, and we see Nate and Brenda finally having sex, Nate has a seizure, and despite it being a show, it's pretty scary, right? Like how yeah. Nate starts his seizure, because it's like whoa, whoa, I mean, brilliant acting, that. right? Yeah. To, to be in the middle of sex and have a seizure like that, but this is where we have Nate finally tell Brenda about his AVM. Yes. Uh, right right before they go to the, to the bedroom where they just kind of discuss it, you see Nate rolls his eyes and he's just like, oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like the, the secret's out now and now he has to discuss it. Yeah. Um, when, when Brenda asks, why did you never tell me about this? And, you know, Nate says, I never wanted to be a burden. I don't know, I just this whole thing of, of why he hasn't told her yet, understanding he doesn't want to be a burden, and Brenda seems to be all about it, right? Like, I'll take care of you and anything, and I'm assuming this is where you were kind of pinpointing yeah. where... Yeah, exactly, that's that's it, he's the new Billy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's not how I pictured that interaction going. I, I think they, they, they did well to wait this long to drop it, because mm-hmm. I feel like if I was Nate and she said, why didn't you tell me? I would have been like, because you wouldn't have given a shit. Yeah, you know, you, definitely. You would have just, I would never have seen you again. There would have been a right. Brenda-shaped hole in the wall and that would have been <laughs> the end of it. Um, but now, obviously, now it's a different interaction because she needs... Like now, now Billy's back, but it's not that Billy doesn't need her. Billy just has Margaret now. Right. And also, Brenda needs to convince herself that she doesn't want to be looking after Billy. Right. But now she can look after Nate. So she can look <laughs> after Nate, Margaret can look after Billy, and Ruth can look after Nikolai. 
and um, <laughs> everyone has the the pet the pet man. <laughs> <laughs> and to close out our episode, uh, we see Mrs. Johnson has left Nate. Uh, Jesse Ray Johnson's bike and Nate having a, a, I guess, a death wish of sorts, regardless, right? So it's riding this motorcycle down uh, the Pacific Coast Highway and rides off into enjoyment. It, it's a beautiful ending scene, right? It, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's like living life, like Mr. Johnson said, but it's also like one of the most efficient ways to die, <laughs> like vehicle wise. <laughs> like, if I was to say, what's the, the, what's the highest probability of you dying? in a vehicle you know you go motorcycle it's yeah it's on the on the specific coast highway which is like really windy and turny if that makes sense you know yeah no i, I um i've never ridden on a oh I've, I've never ridden a motorcycle but i have ridden on motorcycles like when i lived in thailand we just all tooled around on them um but by you know everyone had like cuts and scars on their legs uh, everyone had inevitable crash. A friend of mine got killed. A friend of mine got hit by a car and smashed his hips. You know, it is it is a uh, smashed his hips. Sorry, and it was yeah, that was just a, a constant sort of thing because people yeah, the traffic's insane and you're on a tiny little metal machine that you're not a hundred percent in control of. <laughs> right, right. This song uh, and it's rather a, a popular song. Don't fear the reaper. It's been stuck in my head. Oh, yeah. this episode. It's one of those songs that it's like so popular and so big that like you kind of forget the song. I, I don't know. I know the most how popular it is because of our Saturday Night Live. Of course. Yeah. More cowbell. Yeah. This song has just been stuck in my head these past few days just watching this episode and everything. I don't know. I just kind of liked how, how the episode ended with that. Yeah. Great. Great soundtrack. Like the yeah. Biker Funeral had like yeah, this some whole great episode, tunes. Right? Freebird yeah. and <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama and all that. That was great. Um, this ending actually rem- reminded me of a show that I intensely dislike, uh, which is House, um, House MD. Okay. That I remember catching, because every time I saw like two minutes of an episode, I'd just be like, I hate this show. <laughs> and I remember a similar thing where I think House had a brush with death, and at the end of that episode, he jumps on a motorcycle and rides off. Possibly, I don't know if that show was set in LA, so possibly the same highway. Um, but the song that played... I may be getting this completely wrong. I'll have to do some research. But if I remember correctly, the song that played was, you know, Christina Aguilera's Beautiful. Okay, yeah. But a cover of that by Elvis okay. Costello. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So it was a bit weird. I just remember that scene just being like... And, and, and I, the funny thing was, when I saw that scene, I was like, this is like the Six Feet Under scene. It's like a biker funeral. <laughs> right, right. It's funny you say that about that house, too. Uh, whenever I turned, whenever I tried to watch it, I would watch two minutes and I'm like, nope. Not nope. interested. No, Despite thank people you. Loving this show, you know. Yeah, people were wild for that show. <laughs> yeah, I had no interest in it whatsoever, and I tried nope. to watch it, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. Ran uh, for uh, ten years. <laughs> but that brings us to the end of our episode, uh, Sean. Anything else we we skipped by that you wanted to talk about on this episode? Uh, we skipped it, but I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, Toby and Claire. I'm good. I can take or leave that. <laughs> I'm yeah, I was just kind of like I, I knew I knew where the Express was going when they met in the last episode, and it was kind of yeah. whatever. I guess the other thing I did surpass, and I guess there's not much to it. Uh, David and, and Keith come home to, to spend Christmas there, and we see uh, Taylor's mother finally comes back with presents, and that's just kind of where it leaves off. And I'm sure that plot line will end completely happily with no further <laughs> drama. Good night. Right. Right. 
this is sort of the setup for probably what ends up happening in the next, in the next, you know, that storyline. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of skipped over that just because it's kind of opening shut to me. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, that's that's it really. I think um, it was yeah, pretty pretty good episode. I think the last episode, well, these two episodes were interesting. The last episode and this episode, I think they yeah. kind of. I liked the Deadwood connection. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's been it's been very interesting actually as as we go along. Like um, the funeral director stuff. I'm sure you probably noticed has has definitely started to drop into the background a little bit for like human drama. That's sort of color. yeah. I um, always say that. Yeah. I always say that talking about this show is the first the first few the first two seasons deal with the funeral industry and then it just kind of really goes in the background. Yeah. And and also as well, like I know, I know a common complaint I've always heard is, um, as the show goes along, the comedy drops out, uh, dro- drops, and the darkness begins to come up. Like I know there's a yeah. few people who sort of, but we'll get we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. No spoilers. And so yeah, like like we said at the beginning of the episode, and if you're listening to this episode now, uh, Sean's episode of the first and last episode of The Wire is out now. You yeah. could find them on iTunes and Podbean at from first to last. Uh, the spelling of your Twitter handle. Got it this time? Yes. <laughs> I'm putting it's... them on the spot. Oh, you got it. Nice. E-E-Equia. E-Q-U. Come on. E-Q-U-A-I-T. No, E-Q-U-I-A-T-I-C underscore bind. B-I-N-D. E-Q-U-I-A-T-I-C. Yeah. There we go, Acriotic Bind, and what? also he's on. Uh huh. Yeah, no, that's. I, uh, oh, okay. Uh, who knows? And yeah. he's also on Twitter from first to last pod, or first to last pod. I'm sorry, last Jesus last pod, yeah. Christ. Okay. <laughs> and that wraps up our episode. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Digging Podcast. I'm on Facebook. We're at digging, uh, digging six feet under. Excuse me. Uh, I always encourage emails if you agree or disagree with anything on the show. If you want to enlighten us more about <laughs> anything that we we discussed, uh, you could shoot me an email. I'm at digging six feet under at gmail.com, and join me next week as I'll be discussing episode nine of season two, which I don't have the title here. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Seasons don't fear the reaper, nor do the wind, the sun, or the rain. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended. Digging Six Feet Under.